The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Digital Industries Changing the Game, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's digital strategy and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the game changers, you already know you're in the right place. The buzz today, power to the people. I know it's not new, but we have a new context for you. Let's talk. Mobile devices outnumber people on the planet. Let, let me just let that sink in. That's right. We have more mobile devices than people who are buying and using them. What are the numbers? Well, according to Radicati, you can look it up, R-A-D-I-C-A-T-I, they report 5.8 billion mobile users, that's 80% of the world's current population, are connecting in this global human network via, wait for it, 8.6 billion devices. That's like one and a half devices per person. I know, I know. Here are the predictions. By 2050, really not that far away, maybe not in my lifetime, but maybe in some of my panelists' lifetimes, by 2050, electricity, natural gas, and water demand will double or triple. Now let that sink in. We're already using and using, using power, gas, and water, double or triple. And Energy and water usage will soar as vehicles and mass transit go electric. Why? They need to move 10 billion people around the world. That's a lot of power. That's a lot of vehicles. That's a lot of transit. What are the implications? Well, the global networked economy, we already know we're global and everybody by now knows we're networked. The global networked economy needs clean, dependable, affordable electricity. What about the utility customers? They expect a lot. So today we're going to be talking about digitization, changing the utilities, customer engagement. I have three very smart people going to talk to us about this today. Let me just tell you who they are and then we'll get started. First up, we will be speaking with Robert Tila, T-H-I-E-L-E, Senior Director at Open Text and in charge of Open Text's portfolio of SAP solutions in the Americas. He's been with them since 2014. We're going to be joined by Jacqueline. She goes by Jackie Robinson. She's the training lead for DTE Energy's Billing System Replacement Project, lots of other other important tasks to her credit. And rounding out the panel will be our good friend James McClellan, Senior Global Director for SAP Utilities in Energy Industry Marketing. Now, let me go back to Robert, and I'm going to read the quote he sent me for the opening of the show. 
quote from Henry David Thoreau, who lived from 1817 to 1862. He would probably be very surprised. I didn't say he'd turn over in his grave, but he'd be very surprised to know that somebody was quoting him on an internet radio show in the year 2016. Uh, Thoreau was an American author, poet, philosopher, abolitionist, naturalist, tax resistor. This guy never slept. Development critic, surveyor, historian, and a leading transcendentalist. His book, most famous book, is Walden, a reflection upon simple living in natural surroundings upon Walden Pond. And his essay, Resistance to Civil Government, was an argument for disobedience to an unjust state. This was a busy guy. Here is the quote Robert selected. Men have become the tools of their tools. Robert Tila, welcome. How are you today? I'm doing excellent. How are you doing, Bonnie? I'm fine. Robert, are you a big fan, a follower of Thoreau? Talk to me. Well, um, I'm actually a, a big fan, and I'm, I'm even more a fan of, of this quote. So he's almost like Nostradamus. So he said men have become the tools of their tools back uh, mid of the 1800s. And now you go out on the streets today and you see one of our customers said it really nicely, the zombie curse. You see all these people staring at their mobile devices um, wherever they are. And, uh, of course, Henry David Thoreau didn't have a mobile device at that mm-hmm. time, but I think he, he was spot on. And if you, if you fast forward to 2001, uh, Mark Prensky termed, uh, coined the term uh, digital natives. So he, he wrote about digital natives, digital immigrants, and he noticed that students today who grew up in a, a very te- technological-driven uh, society, they think different, they have different experiences, and, and ultimately their brains have changed. And mm. so they have become the tools of their tools, and these people, these digital natives, are now our employees, our customers. So that's why I think Henry uh, David Thoreau was absolutely spot on. Very interesting. I'm, I'm wondering, given his background, Thoreau was a development critic, a historian, a naturalist, a poet. I'm wondering how he would feel about having a mobile device. And some of the statistics I read in the opening, Robert, 5.8 billion mobile users, 80% of the world. Do you think he would be a resistor or an adopter? What's your thought? Well, of course, you got both sides of the equation. Uh, on one hand, uh, we can access information everywhere, anytime, um, and uh, we may not even notice, but as soon as we lose our uh, mobile device for, for a minute and uh, we want to look something up and we can't, it, it becomes painfully obvious um, how often uh, we use it and how it's really intertwined with our daily lifestyle. On the other hand, of course, we have all... Um, the security concerns right now we have this discussion about um, in Apple and, and accessing uh, the data on the phones. We have hackers who are busy uh, stealing information uh, all around the world. We have this current wave of ransomware, etc. And, and of course, um, there's also a certain danger of addiction if you think about kids and, and games and, and, and all these electronic uh, capabilities they have today. So uh, I'm, I'm not sure how he would have reacted, but I'm pretty sure 
he would have uh, at least raised the critical side and, and some of the concerns and, and not only uh, be excited sort of in a geeky way about all these new possibilities we have today. <laughs> I love that. And I can see Henry David Thoreau in a geeky way. I love that vision. Thank you very much, Robert. And welcome to the show. Now let's move on to Jackie Robinson, a training lead for DTE Energy's Billing System Replacement Project. Jackie sent me a quote from an Adidas ad slogan that goes all the way back. I did a little look up on this, Jackie. In 1974, Adidas launched a series of the Impossible is Nothing campaign as a set of short videos featuring the legendary Muhammad Ali. The first in the series was a boxing match between a younger version of Muhammad Ali and his three-time female boxing champion daughter, Layla Ali, at the height of his own career. And the ad campaign was used and became a major slogan for Adidas. So let me, and by the way, the quote was often misattributed to Ali as well as, Jackie's going to love this, the quote was misattributed to Thomas Edison, so this quote has gotten around. Let me read it to you. Impossible is just a big word thrown around by small men who find it easier to live in a world they've been given than to explore the power they have to change it. The rest of the quote is, impossible is not a fact, it's an opinion. Impossible is not a declaration, it's a dare. Impossible is potential, it's temporary, it's nothing. Jackie Robinson, welcome. What a one-two punch on that quote. How are you, Jackie? I'm great, thank you. Thank you for sending this to me. I wasn't even aware of this. I'm not a big uh, user of Adidas products, but boy, this was interesting. Did you know that this quote was also attributed to Ali as well as Thomas Edison? I had no idea, and I actually love the background. I just saw it in the one phrase, and it was attributed to the Adidas mission statement, and it really resonated with me, and that's why I love it and sent it on to you. But I had no idea of the background, so um, I guess I'm in good company liking the quote. (laughs) You certainly are. So tell me why you picked it. Our topic is digitization. We're talking about utilities, the customer experience, the connectivity, what is going to be the demand on utilities, and how will they answer what the customer needs while providing all all of this good, clean, sustainable energy. I know that's a mouthful. So how does this quote resonate with you on our topic, Jackie? So I think it is uh, completely applies. As we, as you mentioned, we're really in a, we've come to this, this age in our society now that everything is digital. And of course, for something to be digital and to have so much access to devices and information, it all takes energy. So really, the utility industry is um, at a point in its, um, in its in the time frame where we have such a responsibility to power this society that expects so much from digital assets. And um, I think we are going through, um, you know, a revolution right now where we've got to make our, our energy services more reliable and sustainable than ever before. And in some pe- cases, people may think it might be an impossible task. And, and actually, Robert even mentioned making it secure as well. So some of those things could seem like an impossible task to kind of an old industry that's been around for a long time, but we we need to do it in order to power society. And I also love this quote because I feel like, um, on a personal note, it applies to me in that um, I've often been attributed to being persistent and annoying, and I think that that's how I kind of take things. <laughs> Nothing's impossible if you're persistent and annoying. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Jackie, <laughs> I knew I liked you the minute I was introduced to you. I think we have a lot in common. Let's go with the persistent as an attrib- attribution that everybody loves. Oh, yeah, she's very persistent. She gets the job done. Let's get rid of the annoying. We'll just go with persistent. <laughs> 
Jack, Jackie, thank you so much. Oh, we know too much about everybody, don't mm-hmm. we, on the show? Thank you, Jackie. Wonderful quote. And I loved looking it up because it was such an interesting journey, following it around the web to see when it started and the advertising agency that did it. And Ali got it. People still think it came out of Ali's mouth. I don't think we'll ever know that. Talking about a one-two punch. Thank you. And let's bring on James McClellan, who put this wonderful panel together. James is Senior Global Director of SAP Utilities and Energy Industry Marketing. And he sent me a quote from Teddy Roosevelt, looking back in time. Teddy Roosevelt lived from 1858 to 1919. I wonder how he would have felt about, yes, about mobile devices. Uh, Teddy, let me just read a little background. He integrated his exuberant personality, his vast range of interests, and world-famous achievements into a cowboy persona defined by robust masculinity. Homeschooled, I believe he was an asthma, he was a sickly child with debilitating asthma. He was homeschooled and became a lifelong naturalist before attending Harvard College. Uh, his One of his many books, The Naval War of 1812, which he wrote in 1882, established his reputation as a historian and a popular writer. But here's a fact people may not remember. Following the assassination of President McKinley in September 1901, Teddy Roosevelt, at age 42, succeeded into the office of president, and he became the youngest U.S. president in history. Aha. Here is the quote. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. James McClellan, I know you care. How are you, James? I'm doing well, Bonnie. Thanks for the great quote. Did you know, did you remember the Teddy, Teddy Kennedy, Teddy Kennedy, Teddy Roosevelt was the the youngest president, at least at the time, at age 42, he fell into the office? What do you think? Yeah, we uh, saw things starting young and new minds coming to life. But uh, uh, I was taking a look at this quote. I couldn't get something witty enough from my favorite author, Mark Twain, mm-hmm. but I thought it was apropos to our topic today. Uh, when we see the collection of data that utilities are getting with mobile devices, how Rob and Jackie have already been alluding to it, utilities are getting much smarter about their, who their customers are. But let's face it, we're all customers as well, and it doesn't matter how smart you are, what you know about me, but what you're going to do for me. So do you care about me? And I think that's a lot of the topic for today. James, let me ask you something. When people think about the utility company, think about that bill that comes, whether it's digitally or it's still that piece of paper in the mailbox or stuck under the door, however you do it, or it's included, uh, like me who lives in a, a residence where there are multi- multifamilies, a co-op, a condo, and it's included or blended into your monthly maintenance. Do you think we feel today, or how many people you know feel today, that their utility company really cares about them? What do you think? Well, again, uh, I came from a utility. Uh, we're all utility customers. And today, I think that the only time that we talk to our utility is usually when something goes wrong. It's my power doesn't come on or the water doesn't go when I turn the tap on. And the only time that my utility talks to me, or historically, was through the bill. So that's the only touch that we really have with our utility and everything else we take for granted. Yeah, I think you're right, and I'll just give you a little side note here. I don't know who is my utility company anymore because it changes so often here on Long Island. It might be P-E-P-S-E-P-G. I'm not sure. We've gone from LIPA to National Grid. Anyway, I just got a note under my door yesterday. I'm absolutely astonished, and I'd love to hear the panel's uh, thoughts on this, that they are turning off the power building-wide possibly local neighborhood-wide, tomorrow daytime from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., shutting all power, all power. 
we're talking TVs and phones and, and lights and washing machines and refrigerators and freezers, everything. The building will be dark from 10 in the morning till 5 in the afternoon. And I have a live SAP radio show tomorrow. So I called my superintendent and I said, Alex, this is not happening. And he said, okay, we'll make an exception. We're going to snake a, an extension cord under your door. We have a generator, an oil-based generator in the backyard that we sunk in many years ago. But it doesn't power individual apartments, individual offices. So they're going to give me a an extension cord and I have to reconnect, reconfigure my many computers and screens and, and radio devices here to be on one power strip so that that cord will power the modem and the tie line and at least one major computer screen so I can do the show. James, any thoughts on a power company turning off the power at 10 a.m. on a weekday? Really? Well, sometimes, uh, you know, we need to know what the story is and behind it. You know, there's, there's probably a sufficient reason why it needs to be done. That's not usual or practice for utilities to do, especially through the middle of the week, but... Uh, I'm sure yeah. there's a story in behind it, but it's still still a bit of a problem. It's customer yeah. service. We don't like it's it. It's a transformer up the block, and they usually do their work overnight with big, heavy lights that keep us awake with the humming of the machines, but at least it's at night when we don't need it. Jackie, Robert, any thoughts on a utility company, how much they care when they turn off the power on 48 hours notice in the middle of the day? <laughs> well, yeah, I would like to comment on that. And um, as James said, I'm sure it's there's a good reason for it, and it's probably unavoidable at some point, but I think it points to what I was alluding to a little bit in my, um, when I was talking about my quote, we take power and so granted now, and as utilities, we have to realize that people take it so granted across our society that, you know, we, um, at this point, we don't even really remember any backup ways to do things. I'm actually surprised that your super had a generator that could snake a line for you because most of the time, I mean, we're just not prepared. If we don't have our phones mm-hmm. or uh, if we don't have electricity, the kind of the backup systems for society are kind of gone at this point because we rely on it so heavily. So I think that's like, it's kind of a different quote. I think that's from Batman. With great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> Oh, Jackie, you, you kid, they're just tripping off the tongue today. That's fabulous. Thank you very much, Robert Tila from Open Text. Any thoughts about that, Robert? Yeah, so um, I think it's not really about um, a planned or unplanned maintenance per se. It's about how the company communicates with customers. So if they mm-hmm. provide a heads up, if they provide context, so we can all say, aha, this is why this is actually good for me and why it's actually part of their service. So they, they improve something, they renew their infrastructure, they use the money I'm paying uh, to, to improve the service and, and keep the lights on, then I have a totally different attitude towards it. But I think it's, it's like with any customer service, whether you're stuck on an airport or you, you deal with, with a utility outage, um, if you have the information, if you, if you can understand it, if they show that they care, and uh, maybe if they provide alternatives, um, then you, know, you can actually turn a negative issue into something extremely positive and, and a great customer experience. 
I sure hope so. Thank you for your optimism. I appreciate that. And now that we have Robert talking, I'm going to ask each of you our little icebreaker question. We already know a lot about you, but we want to know a little bit more. Robert Tila at Open Text, what are, what's, what are you drinking right now? What's in your cup today? Or what do you plan to drink after the show is over? Tell me. <laughs> so, first of all, um, I'm based on the East Coast. So, uh, it's a little bit after noon and um, so don't expect anything exciting or any weird cocktails <laughs> whatsoever. I do have a coffee machine I really love. It It grinds the coffee. It has different buttons. So I press the button. It makes noise like hell. So unfortunately, I can't do that right now on the show. Um, <laughs> and it pours absolutely fantastic coffee. I got a subscription, so I get these Italian beans straight from Amazon mm. on a regular mm. basis, and that what keeps me running uh, during the day. And, and tonight, I actually plan to have one of my favorite beers. It comes from Andex, which is a monastery close to Munich, and it's run by monks. They brew their own beer, um, and it's absolutely fantastic. And if you ever get to Bavaria, um, being up on the hill, lake down below, overlooking the Alps, sitting in their beer garden. It's an absolutely wonderful experience. I'm trying to get a little bit of that experience um, by um, having an index tonight. Oh, thank you. I'm I'm dreaming. It's going to be hard to run the rest of the show, dreaming about being there in the Alps, drinking beer with you. I think Jackie and James are going to go with me. Let's just say goodbye to the radio audience and let's just go. I love it. And by the way, speaking of energy, Robert, it sounds like you have your own personal energy machine with the Italian beans and the coffee maker and the grinder. So I'm glad to hear that uh, you are having a utilitarian experience, a powerful experience with your coffee. I'm so sorry I had to say that. Jackie Robinson, where are you calling from? What are you drinking or what are you dreaming? about drinking I am calling from the wonderful city of Detroit in Michigan and I have a brand new uh, drink that I am fascinated with um, I've been I have just um, a new addiction to something called kombucha tea I'm not so sure if I'm saying that exactly right but it's you are. a um, what's that you are, or some people pronounce it kombucha, and we have uh, it's coming up very, very often on the show. So tell me which one you're drinking. I, re- um, I can't remember the brand, but basically there's one that comes that's flavored with, like, lavender or hibiscus, different flavors. Ooh. And uh, kombucha is a fermented, made from something that's fermented, and I don't really want to think about what it is too much, but it creates kind of a fizzy... <laughs> unique fl- flavor and um i had been drinking it at work and one of my my uh, colleagues here asked me to try it and she took a little sip of it with a straight face looked at me and said my god that's disgusting so it's an acquired taste <laughs> uh, by the way you don't have to worry kombucha or kombucha is any of a variety of fermented lightly effervescent sweetened black or green tea drinks commonly intended as a functional beverage for their supposed health benefit. And we have uh, several came up here. GT's Enlightened Organic Raw Kombucha. I'm not sure about that one. Health Aid Kombucha Probiotic Tea. We have Kombucha Wonder Drink, traditional kombucha. We have Health Aid, A-D-E, the original kombucha. 
16 flu ounce bottle. All I did was search for K-O-M-B-U-C-H-A, and it just popped up. You can read about it on foodrenegade.com, the kombucha tea health benefits. You can read about how to make it at home on the kitchen, K-I-T-C-H-N.com, how to make. And here's another one, Drax, D-R-A-X-E.com, seven reasons to drink kombucha tea every day from Dr. Axe, A-X-E. I'm going to ax that one. Thank you very much. Ask me no questions. I'll tell you no lies. Jackie, you're a very interesting lady. Thank you very much for sharing that. And now let's turn to James McClellan. Where are you and what are you drinking? I am out of just outside of Dallas today. So it's a wonderful day, not a cloud in the sky and temperatures warming up. And I'm just I'm an Earl Grey guy. I was just waiting on Rob to say to bring up beer when he was kept talking about coffee, and I thought, that's not the Rob that I know. So the furthest <laughs> I ever got with him was a hotel bar, not the Swiss Alps. <laughs> I think we have a reservation. We need an invitation, Rob, to in- in- <laughs> invite James McClellan to come and have beer with you in the Alps. James, do you have a favorite beer? Actually, I'm a Sauvignon Blanc person, so I'd like a nice white wine or a nice red wine or a nice Merlot. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Thank you very much, and I know you're smiling. References, I couldn't find a smiling picture of James the first time he was on SAP Radio about four years ago, and I looked everywhere on the Internet and finally found a video of you at a conference, and I did a stop-action screen grab, and I got you smiling, and now you have a smiling picture, and I'm delighted, and we are smiling. Very important topic today. We're talking about digitization, changing the utilities, customer engagement. We've already dipped our toe in the water of this one. We have a wonderful panel. We have Robert Tila from Open Text, Jackie Robinson at DTE Energy, and James McClelland at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I'm sipping cool, clear water in a cool, clear glass with a bright yellow straw because, thank goodness, we averted a major snowstorm. Al Roker, you were wrong again. And we got about a sprinkling, and it's gone already, but it's cold here in New York. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, Robert Tila and I are going to kick off the roundtable, and I'm just going to say to our listeners don't even think of touching that mouse that app that dial michael out when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network SAP, co-innovating alongside customers, is taking its industry-specific solutions into the cloud. Join us to learn how to make the world run simpler in the cloud without missing a beat. It's a tall order. Digital Industries, Changing the Game brings together the people who are making it happen. We'll delve into very specific industry trends and also solutions that run across disparate industries, all to help your business succeed in your mission. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of a digitized world. Digital Industries, Changing the Game is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Digital Industries, Changing the Game, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now let's get back to digital industries changing the game. 
We certainly are changing the game. And a shout out to Petra Benning at SAP and Katarina Mullers Patel, who sponsored this series. And they're certainly coming up with very interesting industry topics for us today. We're talking about digitization, changing the utilities customer engagement. I don't care where you are, there's probably a utility providing something to you. Is it natural gas, electricity, water, anything, everything? So this impacts you as a citizen, a resident, a person, and uh, as we like to say, ordinary person. I hate when people say that. Or as somebody in the utilities industry or in any services industry, the customer experience is king. It rocks. And how is it going to get better as the demand for energy increases, only increases? So let's kick off our roundtable. Robert Tila at Open Text has sent me the following notes. Let me read a little bit, and then Robert will get started, and the other panelists will join in. Robert says, traditional industry definitions become obsolete. Let me explain for a moment here. Now even car companies become software companies. And he says his car has Yelp coupled to navigation systems and Robert can watch pictures of his destination. At a push of a button, he can send an email home with his location and estimated arrival time. My goodness, we're hyper-connected and our products and services are hyper-connected. Robert, how has this impacted the utilities industry? Talk to us, please. Well, um, everything is becoming digital and, and, and everything is becoming hyper-connected. And so, so what does that mean? Um, look at uh, Nest, for example. So Nest um, has these devices in people's homes and they connected their smart thermostat to utility companies. And customers can opt in to um, take, take part in an energy efficiency type program and uh, they can automatically lower their temperature or their air condition uh, when the utility company experiences uh, peaks. So it's really connecting a, a different form of consumer device or different, different user interface, if you like, uh, to partner services for the benefit of everybody. So shaving off peaks for utility, of course, helps them um, not to, you know, not make investments in generation, transmission, distribution, uh, etc. And ultimately, um, customers have uh, more uh, efficiency, so um, they feel greener, and 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 ultimately, they hopefully uh, save some money. But that's that's a very um, obvious example, I would say. The key question is really, what is a utility company, and does that mm-hmm. does this definition? even work anymore with all the transformations companies are going through. We see utility companies buying alarm companies and using their customer service infrastructure and their access to homes to provide additional services. Other utility companies define themselves as energy companies and they get into solar panel installations and they provide additional services, including monitoring um, of services and uh, interacting with, with customers as well as workforce, etc., in a very different way. So it, it, it's really uh, changing a lot how you know, these utilities with the core competency of having those lines and providing electricity are responding to changing markets and ultimately the way they interact with their customers and the way they they present and define their products and services is, is digital. Everything is, is media, it's on web pages, mobile apps, um, and, and that is clearly having an impact on utilities as well. So, so I think the example, uh, car companies become software companies on, on wheels, if you like, 
Mm-hmm. Google is going into uh, the car business. Um, we see uh, companies like Nest uh, blending different different partners, different industry types. Uh, that has just started. So I'm I'm not sure we'll have the same definition of utility companies in a few years from now. Very interesting. Uh, how do companies, how do people reference their companies if they're not sure what all they do and all was the operative word there? Jackie Robinson, I know you have a lot to say. Talk to me about Rob's topic, please. Yeah, there's a, gosh, there's a couple different thoughts around that. And um, I totally agree with Robert that we're in a point now where utilities are com- need to transform themselves. We're, we have been just the energy service provider for so long, but we are reaching a point where people, as Robert said, want more control over their energy, their usage, and maybe even their sources. So we've been a provider for so many years, but now we're going to be moving into an area where we have our customers, so many people wanting to go off the grid. And it's not just the, the people we think of as tree huggers or uh, the green people. There are people that really want to be independent of an energy company, and they want to have control over their energy source. Kind of similar to what you, your, your personal experience where, hey, my energy just went out for six hours and you know, I didn't really have anything to back up. So, so we are seeing a trend now where people are, and we have some other players that are coming into the market that are introducing alternative energy sources. And um, it's really going to be a game changer for utilities to be able to figure out where do we continue to play in that area. And we're going to have to react. We're going to have to figure out potentially a way for like two-way um, distribution. So not only selling, but receiving energy from you know, solar or from our consumers who have extra energy that they can sell back to the grid. So I think it's really, again, it's kind of back to this kind of feels like an impossible task to transform this, this very mature um, industry into something that's going to fit in this new digital economy. Very interesting perspective. James McClellan, love to hear your POV. Yeah, I think we all are in resounding agreement here. Uh, one note is that I'm starting to see utilities much the same that their competition is coming from companies that they never expected before. Uh, I, I like to use the example that in the mid-90s, if you told me I was going to be buying my bread and my milk from my local gas station and my gas station was taking on the grocery store's competition, I would have thought you were mm-hmm. crazy. But that's the same thing that's happening in the utilities marketplace as well. And for additional services, it's not just energy services utilities are getting into. My local gas company, I've just recently moved and my local gas company offered a service to me that if I provided them my water company and my electricity company, they would do the shutoffs and the turn-ons. And, oh, by the way, if you're still within our service territory, here's the moving company that we offer you. We can help setting up the moving services so we know exactly mm. when you've moved in that we can have the power turned on. So this is a whole brand-new set of areas uh, that companies or energy companies are getting into providing new types of services and being competitors to areas that were traditionally non-energy. So, again, back to Rob's point, uh, you know, the division of verticals is disappearing and everybody's getting into doing everybody else's job and being competitors and co-partners. James, I have a question for you before I circle back to Rob and ask him to comment on what you and Jackie just added. James, how do you feel about that when the utility 
provider in the new new home area says, we can do it all for you. Do you feel that's an intrusion? Do you feel that's a wow? Is that a get off my case? I want to pick my own moving company. Is that a, I don't know, not so sure. Let's use one piece of their offering at a time and see if we can make them all into trusted providers. How do you feel about that as a consumer, James? Well, as a consumer, I thought it was quite novel. You know, being mm-hmm. in the business for the number of years that I have been, I thought it was a great idea, uh, and it was a great convenience for me. So to me, it was that wow factor. Uh, it still wasn't mandatory that I do it, but I thought, what a smart idea. Uh, I don't move that often, so it can be a bit painful making sure I've got that checklist to do, making sure my mail address has changed, everything like that. They had the checklist, and to me, it was, it was a major convenience. Okay, good to hear that. Rob Tila at Open Text. Love to hear your thoughts on what your co-panelists shared and also about James' experience. What do you think? Yeah, I think he, he brought up an interesting point, which is really convenience and ultimately providing a better value um, to customers and servicing them better. So two examples. Um, one company uh, I work with um, is in the U.S. They are in the gas business, and, of course, they provide you know the pipes and the uh, the gas for your heating, etc. But they actually have a deregulated business where they sell gas grills, water heaters, mm. furnaces, etc. So they, they really use access to their customers to sell additional uh, products, almost like a retailer. And the speciality is because they bill their customers on a regular basis, they actually offer to finance the purchase on the bill. So if you want to switch from, from oil to, to gas and you want to have a modern um, equipment, very energy efficient, etc., it costs you a lot of money. But if you finance it, you can actually save and then you just have a monthly uh, payment on your, on your gas bill and, and you, can, you can have all these benefits without paying a lot out of pocket. So I, I think that's a fantastic example how a company is using their core competency to um, offer additional products and services uh, to their customers, to everyone's benefit. Another example, similar to what James described, is uh, in Germany, uh, Postbank, they also run the post, post offices, they're master in cross and upselling. So they provide postal services, they provide banking services, and because the first thing you do usually when you move is you, you walk into the postal office and say, hey, here's my new address, can, can I make sure my mail um, uh, arrives there? Uh, they actually say, hey, how about energy? We, we have a cheaper provider. Do you want to switch? And by the way, we do it all for you. Mm-hmm. So um, they are really a master in uh, you know, getting that wallet share from their customers. And it's this convenience factors, factor James was alluding to. Uh, customers just love it. It's one-stop shopping. And to our previous point, so which industry are they in? Are they a banking company? Are they a postal company? Are they a utility company, utility retailer? You tell me. So it's it's all blending and, and, and changing rapidly. Very interesting. So when is a utility company not a utility company or not just a utility company? The answer is right now today. Very interesting. So let's move on. I'm looking at Jackie Robinson's 
conversation points here. Jackie, here's something very provocative. I'd love for you to talk about it. You told me in your notes, you say, utility services power our society. They have become a moral right. Let me read a little bit more. In this digital age, the services that utilities provide are not a nice to have. They power our society. Some activists argue they have become a moral right, like the air we breathe. Think about going without electricity for a few days in a city. Everything comes to a halt. Talk to me. Moral right and utilities. I never put those uh, two concepts together in one sentence before. Tell us, Jackie, what are you thinking? So it's a, it's a dangerous place to kind of talk about, especially if you work in a utility, to think of things as a moral right. But um, if you think about how important our services are to maintaining our society these days, it, it makes you kind of think along those lines. So, for example, I'm, I'm in Detroit right now, but I live north of Detroit. I live not too far from Flint, Michigan, and I'm fairly certain that you have heard of what's happening in Flint, Michigan with their water supply. Oh, yeah. There is, you know, it is an incredible, you know, um, humanitarian kind of disaster at this point with, you know, over 100,000 people that have had non-clean water for, you know, a year or so. And it was just some kind of ridiculous decisions that happened that made that situation um, so terrible. And so you start to get into, you know, you can see some of the things that are happening in Congress, you know, where people are asking, was this actually, you know, criminal acts? And so we have to, we, the utility industry, we need to start looking at ourselves as something that's so very important to the fabric of our society. You think about Flint and not having clean water and what do you do and people not even be able to bathe in the water that they have. And then you also think it wasn't that long ago that we had um, a complete um, blackout in, you know, the eastern seaboard in the Detroit area. And, you know, it became kind of a real wake-up call to everybody that we're not prepared for that anymore. I mean, we're so digitized that people can't buy gas. I mean, I know I have probably $20 in my purse right now. That's not going to get me very far. I rely on using a debit card. And when the electricity and the power goes out, all of that stuff from gas, your phones are only going to last for so long. Um, you know, where, where are you going to plug your phone in? How are you going to be able to get a hold of your family? There's, you know, we rely so much just being able to text somebody that um, that it's become so very important to the fabric of our society that that it's, it's again, dangerous to call it a moral right because then people mm-hmm. think they don't have to pay for it, but... But it's ah. something um, <laughs> something so very important to our society that um, it puts places even more responsibility on our utility industry now. Interesting. And Jackie, I don't know if you're aware, but uh, on Saturday, this past Saturday, and what are we, today is Tuesday, the 22nd of March, 2016. This past Saturday, uh, lead testing was performed on the water, drinking water, in Newark, New Jersey schools. And they found lead. And they're now testing children in that school system for lead poisoning. Oh, oh. goodness. OMG, EPA testing Newark kids for lead after school water found to contain, yes, after over four years, the drinking water in 431 schools nationwide was found to include lead, tainted water, drinking water, not just in Newark schools, Princeton schools testing water, children to be tested for lead all over the place. State submits plans to test water for lead at so many schools, 17,000 school children being tested. Lead fear forces water ban in 30 New Jersey school districts. OMG. 
OMG. So here we are. Moral right? Uh, yeah. How about moral responsibility to keep us safe? Jackie, very provocative topic. I love it. James McClelland, your thoughts? Moral right. <laughs> well, I think we started <laughs> off the, the program stating that the only time I talk to my utility is when the light switch goes on and the power doesn't turn on or when water doesn't come out of the tap and hopefully doesn't contain lead. But when it doesn't work, that's about the only time. So we, we've expected it. It's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's an assumed that it's going to work. Uh, so I think that Jackie's quite right that we believe that this is our moral right. Um, and, you know, when it doesn't work, then that's when I get upset or when something goes wrong or when they turn the power off on me in two days' notice without a full explanation. So uh, I fully agree. I fully agree with what Jackie's assumption is on this. Thank you very much. Robert Tila at Open Text, please join us. Thoughts? Yeah, I think um, it, it raises a very interesting uh, question also. Who is actually paying for utility services? And mm-hmm. especially now that we have more uh, decentralized power generation, everybody can put up uh, solar cells on their, on their roof and geothermal and, and, and these type of services. And we see that happening heavily right now in Europe where you have a lot of deregulation, a lot of focus on uh, decentralized um, production and generation. And the issue is uh, utility companies still need to operate expensive plants, expensive lines, and if the usage goes, goes down or the revenues go down, who's paying for that? Who's paying for a power plant that's just sitting there, standby, for just in case um, we have cloudy weather and um, uh, you know, solar generation is going down or, or the wind stops for a while? So it, it raises also the question, you know, how as a society do we fund infrastructure and uh, for a utility company, also, how do they diversify and, and how, do, how do we address that whole issue uh, politically uh, in, in the end? And also, if you look at North America, you know, a very common uh, issue is low-income programs. So if someone cannot pay for utility services, what do we do? Do we just switch off the water and we turn off the water? We switch off the electricity uh, what do we do about it? Um, so I think that that is a much broader uh, question or issue, and it's sort of a little unique to utilities um, because, you know, you, you can just stop buying something at uh, your retail store, etc. Mm-hmm. But, you know, these utility services are absolutely essential. Good point. Jackie Robinson, love to hear your thoughts. We've expanded from where we started with you about utilities having a moral right. What do you think now? Yeah, I think Robert uh, brings up a good point, um, and and I'm not sure that I have an answer about who pays for it, basically. But but I think his point, and it kind of it goes circles back to what we talked about, how um, folks are now you know diversifying and adding their own generation, and I think that goes back to people wanting some control over themselves control over their energy supply. And so as those people kind of leave the grid and, and do their own generation, that exasperates the problem that Robert's talking about is how do we, how do we pay for this base load that really needs to be there to operate so, um, so much of 
society and industry, honestly, too. I mean, our, our actual biggest customers are those um, are the you know factories in Detroit and the um, and the steel mills and things like that. So you know they end up paying in some cases a uh, higher percentage for their um, u- uh, utilities just because they're um, somewhat subsidizing the residential load. So um, I think actually Robert brings up a really good point, and I'm not sure that I have a really great answer. Okay, well, your answer of what you said is a good answer. Uh, James, any thoughts on that? Who powers, who pays for it to, to keep standby? The expensive infrastructure that we, we rely on. We not, we need it to be there. We want it to be there. Any thoughts on who pays for it before we move on, James? I, I think the, uh, the answer is the same old answer. We all pay for it. Ah, there you go. And now that we're all paying for it, let's look at some talking points from James McClellan's notes. Here's an interesting idea. Once a month is not enough. I could just end the show right there, James, and let everybody think about that. But I'm going to go on and keep this on a business conversation. James says, years ago, business customers only heard from their utility company 12 times a year. That's when the monthly bill arrived. We know that. But today, things have changed. J.D. Powers did a 2016 survey that revealed... Once a month is not nearly enough to meet 21st century customer expectations for communications from their utilities. And specifically, survey says customers want to be informed. They don't want to be surprised. James, how did you find the survey and what else, what other good words of wisdom are in there, please? Yeah, uh, well, I'll tell you, my, uh, my energy retailer, I recently switched, uh, started without communication to me, providing me a weekly summary of how my bill was and giving me an estimate of what my end-of-month bill would be and compared it to the same time last year and compared it to the the previous month, whether I was Mm. using more electricity, whether I was using less electricity, whether I was, uh, how I compared to my neighbors, was I being classified as energy efficient or possibly an energy hog, and gave me a breakdown of where my energy was coming from. And at first I thought it was a bit novel, and because it was coming in weekly, I, almost, uh, I was almost ignoring them for a while. But then getting a weekly update allowed me to better budget, uh, let me know when I was using my power, inform me. So back to one of the talking points at the beginning, you know, when we were talking about a moving company or moving service, if it was convenient and is providing me a value add, I think it's wonderful. And to have more than just that one-time bill shock, potentially, uh, I'm preparing myself and I can adjust my, my behavioral patterns. Now, the good thing as well is they can provide it to the service that I, I wish to be communicated to. Would it be on my mobile device? Would it be an email? How do I wish to be communicated to? And there was a survey that I just read that 44% of the utility's customers are connected uh, digitally to their utility. I thought that number actually was a bit high, but of that 44%, 41% find digital communication with their utilities is more difficult than other service providers. And this hmm. is maybe a question I'd like to ask my fellow panelists. Yeah. One, how does a utility uh, educate their customer base or promote to be able to uh, uh, connect digitally to their utility. We know that there's more mobile devices than people on this world. And then secondly, how can we simplify 
that digital experience of the communication from the customer to the utility. I'm going to let Rob and Jackie have a quick 30-second response because we're officially now into our crystal ball predictions round on the show. But this is important. So, Rob, you want to respond to James, please, briefly, and then Jackie, go ahead. Yeah, I think um, where utilities are really headed is um, they have a lot of data through smart meters, et cetera, and now they want to engage customers to influence their behavior and, you know, make them more energy efficient, et cetera. And I think the way... Uh, to engage is also changing. So utilities ultimately become media companies because they produce engaging videos. Um, just heard about the story, a uh, utility company in the West um, filming a almost like reality TV, a home makeover and how a family like you and me was using LED devices and was an absolute hit and boosted their rate. So I think it's it's not only about the device and the channel, but it's also how we engage and what information are we providing. Thank you. Jackie Robinson, quickly, what do you think? So I am going to just take the path of I am a huge advocate within utilities for proactive customer communication. And I think we have lagged other industries that are more retail industries with consumers. We don't think of ourselves as a retail industry. So we haven't embraced the kind of Amazon or Chase Bank or even my dentist that sends out these proactive notifications about upcoming appointments or I get I probably get two text messages from Amazon every day letting me know that my shipment's on my way or it's about to be mm-hmm. at my front porch. And I think the utility industry has been slow to embrace that type of communication. I think our customers are waiting for it and demanding it. There you go. And we speak for our for the customers cuz we are. Let's circle back to Rob Tila at Open Text. Robert Time for predictions. I love the year 2020. It just has that little ring to it. But take a look in the crystal ball at Open Text and tell me what you see in terms of how far in the future can you make a very profound prediction. I'm going to give you, oh, about 45 to 60 seconds. Robert, go. Yeah, so number one, um, utility services will be completely changed. Um, new disruptive products and services that are um, sold, serviced, um, supported through uh, digital channels. So utilities will be very media heavy. They will be media companies. I think there will be many new products and services that we don't even think about right now. So a lot of disruption and ultimately they will reconsider what their comp- competency is. Is it retail? Is it field service? Is it energy? And, and maybe things that we, we don't even uh, think about right now around mobility and cars, etc. And I would also like to add, it's not only about the utilities and having courageous CEOs redefining the business and disrupting the business, but it's also about the PUCs, Public Utility Commissions, to learn and embrace and allow those new services. And, and I think, so my prediction is there needs to be a lot of education, a lot of work uh, to make sure they go in lockstep and they open up the gates to actually make these things happen. Thank you. Very articulate. Very exciting what you're predicting and a lot of need there, a lot of uh, interaction required, a lot of collaboration. Oh, what a word. Jackie Robinson, DTE Energy Predictions. Oh, I can give you about 45 seconds. Jackie, go. I am going to use a quote from a CIO at a different utility, a different energy company that I always really enjoy. He's quite a visionary, but he basically said the utility industry has to have the courage, ability, and responsibility to connect dots. 
You must deliver solutions, not capabilities, simplicity, not complexities, and outcomes, not requirements. And I guess one thing that I just want to touch on that we haven't talked too much about is we have so much data um, among our systems. We actually have so much electronics that... Um, digitization that we haven't really talked about. We have sensors at their endpoints. We have meters that give us data. And so we have to, in the utility industry, start to rely on that data that we have to make our services more robust and reliable and to ensure that we are providing those services that our society has come to depend upon. Thank you. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. Thank you, Jackie. And James McClellan, last but of course not least, at SAP Utilities. What do you see coming down the pike, James? I can give you, ooh, just about 30 seconds. Fast. Go. Well, in the year 2020, it's not too far away. And as much as I'd like to be able to say a lot's going to change, it's going to be a completely different world. I think other than starting to offer some new business services from our utilities, I don't think, unfortunately, an awful lot is going to change. I think there's still an awful lot of work to do. We as utilities don't have concrete visions. We have things that we'd like to move on, but I don't think it's going to move quick enough. So, unfortunately, I don't think an awful lot is going to change. Ooh, that's provocative in itself. Plus our change, plus our même shows. We'll leave that one on the table. Robert Tila at Open Text, Jackie Robinson at DTE Energy, James McClellan at SAP Utilities. Wonderful panel, exciting conversation. Thank you all three of you for preparing so well, for sending me such great notes, and for bringing your energy and passion for the topic. It really makes such a difference to me and our listeners when we have an engaged panel, and the three of you certainly were. Shout out to all of the. Tw- Tweeters, Rob, Tila, you've been tweeting and talking, and I think that's an amazing skill. I do the same thing. You can tell for the last 25 tweets while I'm hosting on air. Love to have some company here at hashtag SAP Radio. Shout out to Michael and the Business Channel team. We're just about out of time, and I want to predict my own prediction. Let's see. Today's Tuesday. We did two shows today, The Future of the Future with Game Changers and Digital Industries Changing the Game, and tomorrow I'll be back here on the Business Channel, 11 a.m. Eastern. You can calculate for your own time zone. Coffee break with Game Changers. Just tune in. You'll be surprised. Always a great topic. So here we go. Here's my call to action. And shout out, of course, to Petra Benning at SAP for sponsoring the series. Here's my call to action for real this time. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Digital Industries, Changing the Game, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.